Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right. Good morning. Um, what a great weekend we had last week at Easter. Um, we really, by far, had our, our largest attendance ever. We had 1,820 people here in person, um, 61 salvations on Sunday, and then another two online, and we had nearly 500 that watched online. So um, our total uh, from online and in person was 2,300 last week. So yeah, we were we were very excited, and I appreciate all your help. I mean, that's you know we don't um, we haven't spent any money really on advertising. You're our advertising, and y'all did a great job, and uh, we appreciate all that you did. And uh, man, what an exciting week! So it was it's fun to to be the pastor of a church that you know when you tell people, hey, we need help, people line up and and show up, and uh, man, that was great. Um, we are starting a new sermon series today, and we're talking about. Um, we're going to look in the end times. You know, these are really uncertain days that we live in. And I know a lot of people wonder, well, how does that fit into the Bible? And how does that kind of look? And so we're going to look at what I'm really going to focus on during these next few weeks is a prophecy that Jesus talked about, about his second coming, um, that Peter and the apostles talked about and Paul. Um, I'm not going to get into Revelation a whole lot. Um, Revelation is probably the most misinterpreted book um, that's, uh, throughout history. Men have always looked at it, and because there's so much symbolic language that can be applied in so many different ways, um, throughout history, people have always thought, oh yeah, well this means this, and this means this. As a matter of fact, there was a group that um, were really, they were uh, very pure in their view of Scripture, and they broke away from a church over in Europe, and um, they really believed that the, that the beginning of the millennial reign, which is talked about in Revelation, was upon them. And, in, and, in, and then there was a, a comet that came across the sky, and it was widely believed that that, that was the beginning of the conflict that was going to lead to the millennium. And so they were um, uh, wanted to be a part of that. And so they hopped on this big boat called the Mayflower, and they came over to a place that was uninhabited and set up a colony. Anybody know where this is going? Anybody kind of... And so anyway, um, so sometimes even misinterpretations can lead to great things. I guess we can say that. But I want to really kind of, one of the things about the, the prophecies that Jesus gives us and that Peter and Paul is that they are very practical and they're not um, couched in apocryphal language that, that is merely symbolism. It's very um, concrete. Hey, this is what it's going to look like. Here's what's going to happen. And here's what you need to be ready for. And so we're going to kind of try to do that. We're going to begin with some words of Jesus in Luke chapter 17. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles uh, to Luke 17, uh, verse 26, we're going to begin there. And Jesus is answering some questions um, from the Pharisees about, you know, when will the kingdom of God come? And, you know, Jesus, there's two answers there. He, he is the kingdom of God because he's God, but he also understands they're talking about um, the, when, when he's going to come back and reign and rule on the earth. And, and here's what we believe, just an overview, that uh, I believe that the scripture teaches us, and there are some that believe that it's going to happen at a different time, that Christ is going to come, the Bible tells in First Thessalonians, that we will meet him in the air. And that is 
what is termed the rapture. That's when Jesus comes back and takes the church. That's all those who are believers in Christ. And they will meet him in the air and then they will uh, reign in heaven, go into heaven with him in that moment. Um, when Jesus, the second coming to earth is when he comes all the way. There's, there's a reason why it says we're going to meet him in the air because he doesn't return to the earth. When he returns to the earth, that's going to be when the final conflict happens, um, when the final judgment happens. Um, there are a lot of things that are going to happen at that point. And there are some things that happen in between when he comes for the church and when he comes back. But we're going to kind of um, uh, focus in on what can we expect? I mean, what should we be looking for? And so if you don't mind, please stand with me and honor the reading of God's word. Luke 17, beginning verse 26. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building, until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, there are, anytime that you talk about Christ's return and you talk about judgment and you talk about, I mean, uh, two people working together or even a married couple in bed and one is taken by Jesus and the other is left behind, that creates anxiety. And there's, there's this unknown of not knowing what's going to happen and what it's going to be like. And so I want to take some of that unknown out of it. Now we're going to deal up front with probably the, the most unpleasant part for us to think about, and that is the idea of God's judgment being rained down or, or to come down upon the earth. And I want us to talk about, there's a couple things. Number one, and what, what we're talking about here when we talk about the second coming of Christ, we're talking about God's ultimate judgment of the whole world. And he said it's going to be like Noah in Genesis 6, 11 through 13. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them out along with the earth. So there, there is a time, and there was a time before, where God came down and, and wiped out every living creature except for the ones that were on the ark. And those are the ones that God saved, and they re, restarted mankind. And, and that's something that's hard for us to get. But one of the things that we really have to as believers understand up front is that God's judgment is right and it is righteous. He's righteous when he judges. When God determines and comes down and there's judgment on the earth, it is a holy judgment and it is a righteous judgment. Now that's hard for us to kind of get our minds around because we're worthy of judgment. 
And so when you're worthy of judgment, because the Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death, we all deserve judgment. And so we tend to have compassion most of the time for other people who deserve judgment. And so there are times and people want to, um, a lot of times even question, how could God do that? How could God judge people? How could God wipe out the earth? Well, I, I want you to see that God didn't spare, it says in 2 Peter 2, 5, God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So it was not without warning and it was not without an opportunity to repent and change their way. As a matter of fact, here's, you know, the, the, the earth didn't have millions of people at the time. It probably had thousands, maybe 10,000, I don't know, but we don't know exactly how many, but here's the deal. God gave Noah the task of warning people about his righteous judgment. And so Noah warned them for 120 years. Okay, so this wasn't like, you know, in our minds, we read the story, God saw the world was wicked. He told Noah, Noah built a boat. Noah got in the boat and he destroyed the earth. And that seems like really quick, really fast. Like, man, how, he, God didn't give him much of a chance. But there was 120 years in there where Noah was preaching and telling them what was coming, that God was going to judge the earth, that they needed to repent, they needed to change. God warned the earth and people did not take the warning. And that's the, that's the ultimate thing is that we live in a day and age now where the word of God is out there. People have heard and, and people are going to be responsible for the truth that they've been given and what they did with it. All of us are responsible. When you've heard, hey, that, we're all, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that there's going to be a judgment, that we're going to stand before God, and you've heard that there is a way to be saved no matter what you've done, no matter what your sin is in Jesus, and you choose not to do that, that's your choice, but you're going to be responsible for what you chose to do with that truth. If you're standing out in the road after church and I tell you, hey, there's a Greyhound, Greyhound bus coming right up behind you really fast. You need to get out of the way. And you go, oh, cool, man, thanks for telling me. And you stay there in the middle of the road and you get run over by the bus. Whose fault is it? You heard the truth. You were told, you were warned, and you chose not to move. And so that's the thing. God's judgment is righteous, but God is always, and he's been warning people from the beginnings. Here's the deal. You need to turn away from those things. So in 2 Peter 2, 6, later God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. Now here's something I want you to see. First thing we talked about was God destroying the whole earth. All right, or every living creature on it, except for the ones that God told him to take into the boat and that family. And now we see that God has wiped out a couple of, they were kind of city-states at that time. You know, they, they, they were large areas, they were like urban-type areas <clears throat> that ruled themselves, and there was, there was a lot of ungodliness going on there, and God sent warnings to them, but they wouldn't change. And so this time, God doesn't wipe out the earth, he just wiped out those two cities. Okay? And he brought judgment down on them. And why did he do that is an example of what will happen to ungodly people who refuse to repent. And so here we see that God um, brought his judgment on, down on a very specific area of people. And matter of fact, 
Abraham was saying, well, well God, what if there's a hundred righteous people in there? Well, then I, would you destroy it? No. Well, what if there was 10? The fact is he went in there and they could not find one righteous man except for Lot and his family. And so God saved Lot and then he, he wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah. Now we see another place in Ezekiel 25, 10 through 11. And I will hand Moab over to nomads from the desert, eastern deserts, just as I handed over Ammon. Yes, the Ammonites will no longer be counted among the nations. In the same way, I will bring my judgment down on the Moabites. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Okay? So you saw first, which is a, a, a precursor to what's going to happen in the end, of God bringing judgment on the whole earth. And the ark is a picture of Jesus. Okay? Noah and his family were saved through the ark. Jesus is our ark. He is our uh, mode of escape, to escape the wrath that is to come. And so that was kind of a foreshadowing of what's to come in the end. After that, God takes out two city-states, and now he's taken out a people that were evil. The Moabites were some of those that um, sacrificed children on altars to, far, to, to false gods. And uh, they did that to bring blessings upon themselves, but they would literally kill children as a sacrifice to these gods. It was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so here's what we can get from that, okay? There is the ultimate judgment to be concerned about that's coming when Jesus returns to the earth. Now, my understanding of Scripture, and there are people that, will, that might disagree with this. There's some people that don't believe. There's, when Jesus comes from the church, there's going to be a time called the tribulation that happens after that. And that's when there's going to be a very difficult time here on the earth. There will, there will still be some people saved during that time. But here's what you've got to understand. You know, if you're thinking, well, man, I'll just wait till then. You get saved now, and you got all kinds of people loving you, supporting you, and, and, and choosing. But if you get, you wait until the time of the rapture, getting saved or, or professing Christ is an immediate death sentence. Because here's the deal. One of the things that's going to happen is, is that all those, the beast is going to have people put the mark of the beast on them. And whatever you do, if you're left around during that time and you hadn't decided to choose Christ, do not take the mark of the beast because that's the end for you. But you're going to have to choose to do that amongst thousands of people that are going to be yelling at you, screaming at you, calling for your death if you choose not to do it. And so my question is, if you choose not to do it now, when everyone's going to be around you supporting you and congratulating you, what makes you think that you're going to be able to stand up to the whole world and be willing to sacrifice your life Amen. to be saved during that time? So, here's the part. We have that to think about. About the coming judgment that's going to be for everyone that is left after Christ raptures the church. Now, <clears throat> I believe that there's going to be judgment that's brought on to America before that time. There's a couple of reasons why I believe that. Because number one, if you go back and read about Sodom and Gomorrah, America has become as wicked as those cities are, were during the Old Testament. Period. Now, the one thing that's different is, is there's more than one righteous person found in America. I mean, there's a bunch of us right here, and there are a bunch of believers that are still in the United States. But America is becoming increasingly wicked. 
Um, we're going to talk about some, some of that next week. I'm going to talk about the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of deception, and I'm going to show you how to recognize the lies of the enemy, and I'm going to show you where you can see them in the culture all around us. But here's the deal. We're, we're an increasingly wicked society. The other thing is, I don't know of a single Bible scholar. I've read through the book of Revelation, and I've looked. And there's others that, that are much more knowledgeable than me that have looked all through this. And here's the deal. When it comes to talk about the last times, and it talks about a lot of different countries and, and, and peoples, there is nothing in there that you could possibly interpret as being American. So there's three possibilities. Number one, we just get kind of overrun and taken under some other country. Number two, we just get wiped out by God's judgment. Or number three, all the believers are raptured out. And so there ain't nobody left in America to run and do things anyway. That's, I'm hoping it's going to be number three. But here's the thing. I, I, I do believe there is a time of judgment that's coming on America. I, I would not be at all surprised. I think that our financial system at some point is going to collapse. I believe that there is going to be continued lawlessness in the United States. Now, here's what I hope will happen, that there'll be a revival, that there'll be an awakening and that people will return to God and will return to Jesus. That's what I hope will happen. And then when the rapture comes, there's so many Christians in America that everybody's just gone and the land is just empty because we've had this great revival. That's what I want to happen. Okay. And I know some of you are like, oh my gosh, what if everything does collapse? There's a couple things I want you to see. Number one, God's patient. God's not sitting up there. The reason that he hasn't come back yet is because he's patient. The reason he hasn't visited wrath upon America is that he's patient. But let me tell you something. All those, those nations that deserve wrath, we're committing all those sins right now. All the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah are being committed openly in the United States right now. All the sins of the Moabites, of sacrificing children on the altar of false gods is happening every day through abortion in the United States of America. The blood of innocent children is running across our country. The evil that is talked about that God wiped them off the face of the earth in judgment because of what they've done is going on every single day in the United States of America. So here's the deal, God's patient. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 10. But you, not must, you must not forget this one thing. Dear friends, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Now, we're, I'm even going to talk about climate stuff in a minute, all right? And I'm going to talk about that last verse. It says the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Why would the earth deserve judgment? Well, you got to remember that when man sinned, God cursed the ground. God cursed the earth, okay? And it is going to be wiped away in fire at the end just like those who have rejected God, okay? Have rejected Jesus as their savior. So when people start, well, we're gonna get to that in a minute. But anyway, the one thing I want you to get is a day's like a thousand years. The Lord is being slow. He's not being slow. He's being patient. 
So what is he being patient for? 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. So that's why God is waiting, is to give everyone a chance. He wants people to, to be saved and to understand the truth. And so that's why we're still here, is because our job and our purpose is to promote the name of Jesus wherever we are and in every opportunity that we have. And all y'all, you have different opportunities to do that. You have the, you know, whether you're in, uh, whether you work in a drive-through window and you have a chance to tell people have a blessed day, whether you're a, a, a rodeo announcer and you get a chance to talk about Jesus at rodeos, we got people to do that. We have people to talk about Jesus wherever they are. And that's what we're supposed to do is talk about Jesus. We have that opportunity. And that's our calling because God's waiting because he wants people to be saved. 2 Peter 3, 15. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Now, here's the part about that. There's a moment, just like there was with Noah and the ark, when the door of the ark is, is closed. There's a moment, just like it talks about in the second coming, when there will be no more opportunities. Now there's maybe that time in between the rapture and when Christ returns to the earth, but after that, there are no more opportunities. We have opportunities here on this earth. If, if we're here, you know, maybe, maybe the return of Jesus happens in 10 hours, 10 days, or 10 centuries. I have no idea. But if it happens down the road, our last opportunity to know Christ is when we take our last breath here on this earth. That's our last moment. There's not some other place where you can go and earn your way back. I know that's a teaching of some churches. There is no such thing as purgatory, never mentioned in the Bible. And the Bible is clear that the moment Jesus told a, a story about it, about the rich man and Lazarus, and they died at the same time, and immediately the rich man's in heaven with Abraham, and the, and the man, excuse me, the rich man, Lazarus was in heaven with Jesus. Somebody would have called me out for that, rightly so, <laughs> immediately, and the rich man was in hell, just then. There's no second chances. Once your time here on this earth is done, or if Jesus comes back, that's it. The door's shut. There's no second chances. But God wants people to be saved. He's giving people time to be saved. See, here's the deal. If there was another place everybody could go to and kind of get back to heaven from there, why would, why would God be waiting? Why would he be patient giving people time to be saved? Because the only time you can be saved is here on this earth. That's it. Now, the other part of this is people want to paint God as violent or he loves violence or... You know, he, he loves punishing the wicked. The opposite is the truth. Ezekiel 18, 23. Do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the sovereign Lord? Of course not. Because he created them in his image just as he created you in his image. I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want to turn for them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn, turn from your wickedness. O oh, people of Israel, why should you die? 
He wants the wicked to return again to him. He does not want to bring judgment on them. That's why he's delaying it. Now, he gave us examples. We've seen God's judgment. And, you know, one of the things that everybody can agree on, even the ones that will have some kind of Big Bang theory, they all agree that at one point the earth was covered in water. We're not, if it was covered in water, because they have found seashells on every mountaintop in the world. Do you know that? Seashells. Where'd all that water go? If that wasn't God's hand. I mean, how could that water just disappear? The Bible tells us that God brought the water, okay? So he wants people to turn from their wickedness. Now here's something that I really want you to hear, okay? Because I understand, none of us, is it pleasant to think, man, if God brought judgment on America and everything went south and it um, souther and worser and whatever else, what's life going to be like? What about me? How am I, I mean, what, what happens to me? Now, everybody's going to think that. There's good news for you. You ready? All right. 2 Peter 2, 5. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment, so God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. So that's the protection that we have in Jesus about the, the ultimate second coming. Those who are in Christ... We're in the ark. And so we're, go- we're not going to experience that judgment because we are in Jesus. But then again, what about if God just punishes an area in the United States or Sodom or Gomorrah, or whatever? What about them? But God also, 2 Peter 7 through 9, also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. Listen to this next verse. It's important. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the, final, until the day of final judgment. You catch that? Now, the first one, God told Noah to build a boat where there wasn't any water. He told him to get ready for the flood that was coming from from a rain where there had never been a flood and there had never been rain. God used to water the earth from the ground up. There had never been these pieces, drops of water coming from the sky until the flood. But God warned him about it. God designed a way for him to be saved. God planned ahead. And when when the storm came, when the flood came, Noah was ready. Because he'd been obedient to God. Now, in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, God sent angels in to bring him out. And they delivered him and his family out of the city before judgment came on it. So that's what we need to remember. That's a verse you need to keep hold of. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment. So no matter what God decides to do to America or to wicked people or whatever, he can rescue you. He can bring you through it. So hang on to that. God knows how to do it. Hebrews eleven seven. 7, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat. That faith is the key part. You see, we, we can all go home and become preppers 
and start saving stuff up. And you know what? As your pastor, I, 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 don't, I don't have a problem with you putting some stuff back. But understand something. You can't put enough back to be able to last through God's judgment if it comes on this country. You can't do enough. You understand what I'm saying? Now, ain't nothing wrong putting a little back. I mean, make sure you got plenty of food. Buy more ammo, whatever you got to do. But understand something, that ain't going to be enough. Because if God's judgment comes down like it did on Sodom and Gomorrah, ain't none of that stuff going to get you through it. Only God himself is going to do it. So ultimately, trust him no matter what. Okay? And be obedient. You know, one of the big questions people have, well, how, you know, how will I know? What if, what if the, you know, and I remember asking these when I was single. You know, what if this first time I'm supposed to marry you know, 100 miles away, and what if, how am I supposed to run into him? I'm like, you ain't got to worry about that. What if I don't choose to go here and that's where I was going to meet him? You want, all you got to do is this. Is choose to be obedient to God every day. And then if God brings that person to you 10 years down the road, you'll be in the right spot at the right time and so will they. And guess what? God can even handle us taking a detour every now and then when we sin. He can figure that out. You think God goes, oh, well, plan blown. Sorry. You're on your own now, dude. I don't know what to do. I mean, you think, God, that, that ain't how God works. The same thing's true about deliverance or whatever comes down the road. You don't know what it is. None of us do. But God already knows. He already has provision for it. He already has a way. And all we have to do is continue to be obedient to him every day. And you're going to be fine. Now, here's one of the things that, that, that is easy for us to do is to start thinking, well, man, it's been, I mean, it's been 2,000 years, so maybe, why am I even worried about it? Well, the Bible says don't be a scoffer. When you do that, you're starting to scoff, okay? Be careful about that. 2 Peter 3, 3 through 7. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought all the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. So here, here's the, the thing. I don't know when it's coming. Anybody tries to tell you they know the day, and I've seen this through the years. Oh yeah, well, you know, I've, I've, we've put in all the computer models and we've looked back and there's these ancient texts and we know this, it's gonna happen on this day and this year. And so everybody needs to be ready. So y'all need to sell all your stuff, move out here to the mountain of my compound. And by the way, here's my, here's my uh, uh, online giving service. You know, I need to be support, whatever it is. If somebody tries to tell, anybody comes up and tells you Jesus is coming back on a certain day. The one thing you can know is he ain't coming back on that day. You want to know why? The Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. And so anybody that tries to tell you they figured out the day Jesus is coming back, just say, thank you, false teacher, blasphemer, I'm done with you and, lose, and leave. Because they don't know what they're talking about. And they're going against the word of God by saying that. So nobody knows the day or the hour. But the Bible also, Jesus at one point said, when you see the, vo the vultures circling, you can know the season is at hand. 
You know there's something dead nearby. Let me tell you something. The vultures are circling. Now, I'm I'm not going beyond that. All I'm saying is, as believers, we need to be ready. And how are you ready? By trusting God every day. And we're going to get to that a little bit more in a minute. And, and one of the ways people scoff today is they come up with all these things about, oh, well, you know, man's the one who's ruined the world and we've done this and we need to get rid of, get rid of cars and get rid of all the cows because they, you know, fart too much gas and they're killing all of them. That's actually been a scientific thing. Y'all know that? That Congress people, people that we've elected to Congress have tried to tell us we got to get rid of the cows because they emit too much gas. Oh my gosh. Look, here's the deal. God gave us the earth. And we're supposed to be good stewards of it. We need to take good care of it. Man ain't got the power to destroy this world any more than he has the power to save it. Oh, I said, oh, we can do this and we'll go, we'll be, none of that's going to work. You want to know why? Because the Bible's already told us these things are destined for fire. It's going to be burned up. Now here's the other part. The only reason the earth is still rotating on its axis The only reason everything's still working as it should is because God's word is upholding it. It says in Hebrews 1.3, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Colossians 1.17, he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Man cannot destroy what God is holding together, period. Now, should we be smart and wise and good stewards? Absolutely. But killing all the cows ain't going to save the world. Matter of fact, eat beef until the end. Just do it. (laughs) If you're vegan, I apologize. Maybe you've never had good beef. I don't know. I mean, you do what you want. But eat all the beef you want, all right? Because God's holding it together. And ain't none of that stuff going to fix anything because that's just man trying to think they're God. And we're not. He upholds everything. So here's the deal. What should we do? 2 Peter 3, 11 through 13. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. So you know what? We need to be living every day as though he was coming back. As though Jesus was coming back soon. Because I don't know about you, but we all have this, these lives to live. But if you knew, hey, if there was a message came down and said, hey, God's coming back this week. Now, don't just stay around your house. Go and, do, go and do your regular deal. Go to work. Go do what you're supposed to do. I bet you'd do it a little bit differently, wouldn't you? I bet we all would. We'd be like, man, I want to make sure that these things get said and this gets done. That's how we should be living. Living in the reality that Jesus is coming back. And, and here's the deal. 
here's one of the things Jesus said in that first passage. He says, look, this is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Neither one of them had any idea that that was the day. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. They had no idea. Life's going to be carrying along like normal when Jesus comes back. We're not going to know when it's happening. So we should live as though it's happening anytime. So you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. We don't know. And in the last verse, you must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. And here's the thing. You, you want to be ready. You want to be ready and you want to be prepared. Spiritual. You know, if there's that person that, man, that you know you've been thinking about it, you know you need to talk to them about, about Jesus, but you just hadn't done it, don't keep putting that off. You know, maybe there's some things, man, you know, one of these days, I'm going to get around to being faithful, or I'm going to get around to doing this, or I'm going to get around to, hey, that, these, this is these days, right now. And we need to be living as though Jesus were coming back at any time. Because here's the deal, I don't know when he's coming back, but when I, when I look around and I read the Bible, it seems to me like it, it could be soon. Like it could be soon. You look and see what's going on over in Israel. This last season, there were, it was one of the few times, usually they're kind of staggered, but Rosh Hashanah, Ramadan, and, and, the, and Easter all happened at the same time. And there was a lot of tension around the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount's part of the last prophecies, that there's, there's going to be, um, uh, uh, the Jews are going to sacrifice again on the Temple Mount. Do you know there are organizations in Israel that were offering large cash amounts of money to people that would go and offer a sacrifice on the Temple Mount during this last season. Even though they've had all these agreements that they wouldn't do it. There's starting to be a push in Israel to go back and sacrifice again where Solomon's Temple was built. There's a, um, a mosque there now. And the Jews have had kind of an understanding to stay away from it. Except to visit during their, their holy holidays. And the push is starting you really want to keep, a, keep track of things, pay special attention to what's going on in Israel because that's the linchpin in all the revelation. And, there, and, and things ebb and flow over there, but there have been a lot of changes. There have been changes in the relationships of the United States, some of our leaders in Israel, and those things are going to bring an effect. And so we need to be very careful and live carefully and live in such a way that, you know what, here's, the main deal is, if Jesus were to come back this week, how do you want him to find you? How do you want him to find you living? What do you want him to find you doing? So live that way. You know, the, for those of us who are believers, God's called us to be prepared. Be ready. And part of, the, part of the joy that we have is that the more people that we tell about Christ, the more people that are saved, guess what? The closer we get 
And so that's what he talked about in that one verse where he said, hurrying along, the coming of the new heaven and the new earth. How do we hurry it along? The more faithful we are, the sooner we're going to get there. The more we tell people about Christ. And I would love, to, I would love nothing more than to see a great revival sweep across this, this country. Every great revival has started in a single church. In a single church. When people got serious about the things of God, were committed to telling others and repenting of their sins and turning and following Him, that's where every single great awakening that's happened in this country started. Why not now? And why not here? And if why not here, why not with you? What do you need to be right with God about? For some of us, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we want you to, to know the Bible's clear. All of us have sinned and fallen to the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And you know what that does? It separates us from God. That was the problem. Our sin separated us from God. But God in His mercy sent His Son. He lived a sinless life and He died on the cross. That even though each of us deserved death for our sins, Jesus died to be a substitute for us. And then rose on the third day to give us life. And we all have a choice. You see, the judgment is coming. There's going to be a time when those who are in the ark are going to be with God, in, in Jesus are going to be with God, and those who choose not to are going to be separated for eternity. And you don't have to leave here the same way you walked in. See, we have a, a God, the, the overwhelming thing of all those verses is that God loves you. He wants you to be forgiven. He wants you to be righteous. He wants you to be set free from your sins. But you have to choose to receive it. And how do you do it? By asking forgiveness of your sins, admitting you're a sinner, by believing that Jesus is God's Son, that He died on the cross, and that He rose on the third day to give you life. And then lastly, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. So here's what I want to do. If you'd like to know your sins are forgiven, that you have peace with God, and that you're going to be with Him forever. I want to lead you in a, sinner's, in, a, in a prayer of salvation that every sinner's prayed at some point, including me. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and if that's you, and you want to know your sins are forgiven, you want to know you're right with God, you pray this with me right now. You can repeat it after me. Pray in your heart. God will hear you. But pray with me right now. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart, my life, and save me. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose on the third day, according to Scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my Savior and confess him as my Lord. 
Now, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to know something, that in that moment, your sins are forgiven, that God has declared you righteous, that your name is written in a book in heaven that can never be erased, and that you are his son or his daughter, and that can never change. If you prayed that prayer, here's what I want to ask you to do. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. You don't have to say anything. I'm not going to call you out or point you out. But what I'd like for you to do is if you pray that, I want you to look up at me right now and keep looking until I see you. I want to pray for you. Okay? All right. See you. Okay? All right. Okay? Here's what I want to encourage you to do. It's important that you tell someone. So if you're here with a parent or maybe somebody invited you, tell them, hey, I prayed that prayer to receive Christ. There's also an opportunity. We'd love to to help you with it. In a few moments, John's going to dismiss our service and he'll be standing here at the front. And if you'd like to tell someone today or talk to someone today, he'll talk to you or have someone talk to you and answer any questions you might have about Um, what it means to be a believer to be saved and they'll also talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus if you don't have time today there's a number on our screen you can text that number there's also a QR code it's in the bulletin you were given when you came in you can open that with your phone's camera and you can tell us that way that you prayed to receive Christ and we would love to get in touch with you and set up a time to meet, whether it's over the phone or in person, to answer any questions and talk to you about those next steps. Now, I want to tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to bug you. We're not going to put you on a mailing list. And we're not going to ask you for anything. We don't want anything from you. You're welcome to come back to this church. We'd love to have you. But even if you're not coming back, we'd still love to help you with your decision. So all you have to do is fill out that form or just text, I did it to that number. Or tell John immediately after the service. And we'd love to help. So let me pray for you right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your your love and your mercy. Father, thank you for loving us. And most of all, thank you for Jesus. Pray for those that made a decision today to follow you. Pray that you'd give them strength, that you'd speak to them. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, for um, their new faith and their new relationship with you. Lord, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.